0: most of us overbiked? Can skiing or even jogging be better for us in the winter? And could anyone have a better perspective on what it means to win on the highest level the right way? Hey, it's Marty Schaefer, and it is great to be back with another episode of Talk Yeti to Me by Yeti Cycles. Today, I interview a true legend, and I don't use that word often, Jeff Kabush. Whether you call him friggin' deaner or Coach K, whatever you do, don't call him late to retire. Jeff really has seen it all and done it all. He's competed in, get this, three Olympics and nearly went for four. He's earned 15 Canadian national titles, five US titles, stood on nine World Cup podiums and won a World Cup. You could say he's all about perpetual reinvention until you consider that in the first ever World Cup event as a junior, he raced both cross country and downhill. These days, he keeps on giving her and winning multi-day Enduros and all the most fun events. So it's really more like he just never stopped. And if one thing's for sure, it's that he has no plans for doing so, ever. This conversation is a goldmine of history, story, and lessons. From making people cry to reminding us all that mountain biking is a sport that's all about subtle skills. It was a real joy and pleasure to learn more about the man, the myth, the denim tuxedo master, Jeff Kabush. Let's get into it. what the hell have you been doing this last three months in quarantine and with all the race season shut down what does that look
1: like I mean yeah it's been nice to have a bit of extra time so much just not the travel but it's been amazingly busy from ordering to building the bikes so I was just on a bike building rampage for several weeks and doing a bit of testing there but certainly glad I'm in the position now like I'm not building up for the Olympics and things I do with the sponsors is- pretty diverse these days so certainly it's uh tough not having the events to build for but man i just still really enjoy just being healthy and riding my bikes i've really kind of enjoyed the time not having any uh you know timeline or trips and uh it's been nice to be in one place and have some time to work on some projects
0: hold on let me get this straight you weren't going into your fourth olympics i thought i thought you were going for number four (laughs) No, I gave up that a long time ago. So, uh... (laughs) I mean, it's kind of an interesting time as an athlete um, because ultimately your job is to sell gear. And as a racer, um, success is, in some sense, success is easy. It's like go to the Olympics, do as well as you can. But right now, do you find it's like it's time to be creative, right? Like, what are you focusing on to promote certain sponsors?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly much more complicated time as an athlete these days. It's, it's tough. Like I talk to y- a lot of young athletes and they want to know like, how did I get to the position I am in the industry? And it's such a complicated thing to give advice about. I was, I mean, I'm super lucky. I grew up to a time where it was just, just racing. And I had a huge platform with lots of magazine coverage and that was the sole focus. So sometimes miss the old days where you just went to a few races throughout the summer then you went home and you just rode your bike all winter but it's the fun thing about the sport there's always something new to learn about the sport as well as an athlete so i mean i've enjoyed kind of the evolution of being an athlete from a structured kind of xco team and starting in 2017 i think i branched out on my own as a kind of independent athlete and kind of really enjoyed building those direct relationships with the brands uh, you know, I really love the the technical side and so I've done a lot there. Um working with the the companies on the R and D a little bit here and there. When I went to school I did an engineering degree, so it's always helped to uh, kind of have that, that mind a bit to give that feedback and certainly the perspective uh for my career and seeing the the equipment change and um participating in so many disciplines gives me a really good perspective on that. I'm not gonna be doing the craziest sends day or epic ride but just try to share my you know joy for the sport and pass on some of the the knowledge from the years of racing i I love your advice and it works really well on the skin track the sh- steady
0: not sweaty where does that come from
1: oh i mean i think it came from a norwegian friend lars who actually i worked with a bit but you know it's a phrase that you hear along the backcountry touring and Definitely, some lot of uh, jokes about it from uh, some national team training camps where a lot of the young riders got in trouble in the weather, and I gave a infamous speech. I was trying to be constructive, but made a few people cry. So I have to look back and still joke about that little speech I gave to some of the young athletes. Uh, so kind of have to change my approach a bit to try not to make people cry, but always trying to you know pass on some of that knowledge.
0: <laughs> conquering fear is not giving tears <laughs> um i kind of actually really cool I, I really do enjoy watching your social media um what even reading your blog post and your youtube channel like it's like this humorous uh like where did where did coach k come from
1: i mean it's all subtle humor i don't know i think uh scott kelly old mechanic and now uh he runs a canadian cyclocross program started calling me coach k when i came over to europe a few times to hang out with the kids but i've always found a you know kind of fun way to relate to people uh with the humor whether it be uh impersonating some cold characters from some canadian films or making some jokes uh having a beer but yeah definitely have a lot of fun and try to keep it light even uh, when the racing gets really serious (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, we should touch on this because I don't think too many Americans really know what Ubar is. <laughs> so Jeff, I idolize some of those ads like the back in the day dressed up as 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 Terry. Was it Terry or you Deaner?
1: Oh, uh, people still <laughs> call me Deaner. Kind of a cult film about a couple of hard rock guys from rural Alberta. And one of them gets nut cancer. And uh the more you watch it, the more you you catch the inside jokes. Definitely had some fun bringing Diener to a couple races with the denim tuxedo and even brought it out at, in Europe at some World Cup parties and cut off and tasseled shirt. The Europeans had no idea what to make of me. Some really good quotes from that movie. Definitely don't recommend watching around your kids. Some, uh, some gra- <laughs> graphic language, but... Uh,
0: so but hard. a great approach to life. Uh, ultimately, it's got a good, it's got a good meaning. Yeah. <laughs> just friggin give her. giver. Giver, you know, go so hard. <laughs> I just, I think that's what I remember the most about you. And it kind of reminds me, um, makes me think about why I really idolized you. My mom used to always tell me that in the end, no one really remembers what race results you get. Ultimately, they remember how you react and how you hold yourself as a person. And I think the way you brought humor and the lightness and still kick some ass that's ultimately, uh, you know, why I looked up to you so much, but, uh, I mean, Jeff, in your own words, why do people look up to you?
1: I don't know. I think it's more just, I think, coming from a small town. I mean, as a young rider, I remember how I was like, man, I just traveling to the races and just remember talking with my friends. Like, imagine if we could just race for free, get our expenses paid and get to travel around and. You know i still remember as a kid you know growing up i was like the early 90s there's no internet but i bought like every mountain bike magazine from 92 to 96 and just pouring over every single page of those magazines over and over and yeah being a fan of the sport looking up to johnny t so i know what i was like and i think i've uh, well, we always just you know tried to be myself and uh you know not get an ego just cuz i've done well on the bike and obviously had a lot of success it's uh, it's pretty easy just to treat everyone like a normal person and you know i've always tried to be real that way and i think people have really latched on to the fact that i've you know tried to be really outspoken and i think i've got a lot of respect from people just you know i raced through a really tough period with a lot of doping and you know made the right choices and i'm happy to kind of be outspoken about that, have a sense of humor. And I think people can relate to that and really appreciate the support I've gotten from everyone.
0: So like, what was the mountain bike scene like then? And and what was it like growing up on, on the Island?
1: Yeah, I think I was just, you know, really lucky to grow up in Canada in a place in BC where mountain biking is obviously so amazing. Everyone knows about the mountain biking in BC and went to school in Victoria after high school. I mean, that's the one thing. uh, So, you know, Tell people like I didn't focus on on riding at a super young age. I played every sport uh, through high school, everything except hockey, I think. But basketball was like my main sport in high school. Like I didn't ride my bike until uh, in the winter, until after high school. I moved to Victoria and I was surrounded by you know World Cup racers and pros, so uh, it seemed natural that that was an achievable goal. And I was lucky to connect with some really good mentors there, a coach who really taught me the right principles for success long term and hard work and I can still can't believe how driven I was during those years going to school uh did an engineering degree sometimes in the summer working 35 hours a week and fitting in fitness training or four courses in the summer because of the way school went you know I had that goal and I was a super driven uh just started out racing in BC, driving around to races with my, my friend who had an old 66 split window VW. And we go to races every weekend. And, you know, the Canada Cup started on the West Coast and had some success and decided to chase the whole series. Qualified for Worlds that year and went to went to Germany. And man, I outsprinted two people for 99. So it's not like I had immediate international success, but got the Gretzky at Junior Worlds. But yeah, I was sold just on the, the buzz. You know, I was thrilled to be over there in Europe, even though I had to like drag my two bikes through train stations and try to figure out how to phone and ran out of money. Luckily, my friend over over there because my bank card didn't work. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was motivated to make it happen and came back, went to school and just, you know, had that goal and uh, work my way through the engineering school and graduate in 2003. And then, yeah, lucky just was able to focus on, on mountain biking since then and made it a career really great. The position I'm in now and really enjoying, um, the lifestyle and that's why I'm still doing it. I mean, I raced the XCO for so many years and that's all there was, you know, cross country and downhill for a long period of my career. So I kind of thought of my career, you know, 2012, 2016, maybe I'll be able to keep going, but I think, you know, a lot like, uh, Gladwell's book outliers, just right place, the right time as the industry has evolved and been able to really uh, change my career in the last five or 10 years to really encompass a lot more fun events. And it's uh, you know been a real joy to kind of do all these different events and be able to keep, keep riding my bike. I, I love how you call it out too. Like before anyone can even
0: ask you, Jeff, that like, how long are you going to keep doing this? It's like your slogan's right there, front and center. Can you keep doing it <laughs> until the fun stops? <laughs> and it's yeah. still fun,
1: isn't it? I mean, that was the thing. Like For a while, I was like, man, I don't want to be like that sad old guy just holding on. But just because society says I should stop, I mean, I'm still having fun, still having success. And uh, being a professional rider has kind of insulated me from, I feel like, from growing up and feeling mature. Like, man, I'm 43 now, but I certainly don't like inside my own head i don't picture myself as a you know 43 year old that sounds old but man i just still really enjoy just riding my bike and having fun and feel like i can still be relevant uh that's why i say as long as you're fun and motivated why why stop it's uh once you stop it's hard to hard to start again so uh i'm going to definitely keep evolving but yeah really enjoy what i'm doing and going to keep doing it as long as i can well, it's
0: kind of interesting. I've even heard you speak about, you know, European road cyclists. Let's use that as an example, where to them, this is, this is completely a job. And the way I would interpret that is that would start changing your desire to go down the doping path. I don't even know how to ask this question, but I know that you've been through a lot of struggle um, in the world of doping. And it's even inspired you to, you know, I think it started with the Dopers suck t-shirt. But eventually, um, working with Cycling Canada, with Race Clean, Own Your Victory. But Jeff, what's the history there? Um, what, are, what are the hardships with, with all that and, and sort of timeframe?
1: Coming up through the late 90s, I mean, I was definitely a bit naive, for sure, what was going on, but got to a point, you know, people will say, oh, it's just the Europeans, but it was happening in Canada, too. And I was just, you know, training in Victoria, And the training rides, group rides there just started getting ridiculous in the winter. You know, six hour after six hour road ride, all of a sudden, be going 42K an hour. And I was just like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to be the level these guys are at. And uh, that was a a tough time for me, trying to wrap my head around if I was ever going to be able to be successful. But my mentor, Jurg, always, you know, preached that, you know, if you do things the right way. Um, going to be better off in the long run. And I don't know if he was talking physically or mentally, but I'm sure proud of the decisions I made during that time. Um, actually a friend actually in Boulder, Brandon, we made up some shirts and ironed on the old letters, "Doper suck on a, on a t-shirt and wore it on the podium at one of the Norba Nationals. And the next year at Sea Otter, I was motivated and, and won the race that year. And on the podium, I, I did my jersey and had a Doper suck shirt on and I wanted to make sure people knew that it was possible to you know do things the right way and have success and I think that's what led to the initiative with, with Cycling Canada really wanted to you know promote that positive message that if you do things the right way you still can have success and it's so much more rewarding and we have a bunch of good role models in Canada that have done it the right way and wanted to make sure that the the young athletes don't get that, you know, temptation when things are really hard that they they think that's the only path to success and you can have success on the highest level and that's what I mean. Yeah, one of the highlights of my career when in two thousand nine I finally won the the World Cup in Bromont. Just that one win was you know so rewarding for that one day to finally win a World Cup after you know all the struggles in my career. I mean, I'm just thinking back to some of
0: the other riders I idolized in my teens. And to be honest, I haven't heard from about them. Like maybe they did really well in a World Cup and they had, you know, extraordinary results. But I haven't heard from them in 15 years. So it's kind of cool. Like you're kind of playing the long game here and you're doing it in like quite a class act.
1: You know, I've been through it all. And there's a lot of people that say, well, you don't know what you would have done in that situation. And I can be. You know, really vocal and outspoken now because I was there and made those decisions. So I take every opportunity I can to to speak up for a clean sport because it's something I I believe in. And I just love riding my bike. So that's uh, what's kind of led me through my career. And uh, I'm never going to retire. Well, I mean, it'd be like you're claiming that you're going to stop when
0: the fun's over. So that would be basically saying retiring from having fun. (laughs) I can't see that happening, Jeff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I eventually can't race forever. But as the industry has changed and the events have changed, there's a lot of awesome events where I can still have an impact and continue to, you know, provide value to my sponsors. And man, pretty amazing to be in my mid 40s and still having success and making it my job.
0: But it makes sense. Like I, seeing what I see on the YouTube channel or even your social media, it's like at this point, you've proven your authentic voice. And so if you're going to be talking about what's in your Camelback or how you've set up your new bike or a new bike you're working on, it does sort of seem like that's that that super authentic voice. And do you not find that a lot of, um, a lot of fans are attracted to that?
1: It's really a balancing act and it takes a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of stories that, uh sponsors want to push out and it's part of the job but you have to really work at kind of providing that in an authentic manner and uh i mean yeah i put just like everything i do on the bike i put a lot of work into trying to approach it in a way that will engage with athletes and not make people turn away if it's just you know straight propaganda rarely had in my career where i have to promote stuff that i don't believe in and i mean yeah i'm in the position of my career where I can, you know, choose my partners and choose the events and choose the stories I want to promote. So it's a nice position to be in.
0: How would you summarize the events you're doing now? So, you know, obviously it was cross country where you got your name, you're doing some cross, and, uh, do you, would you call them endurance races or would you call them fun races? How, how
1: would you summarize that? On the endurance side, it's been a bit of a full circle. I mean, when I started cross country was, you know, two hours and 15, 200 hours and a half, but talked about my first junior worlds I mean the junior worlds race I did was one in over two and a half hours I crossed the line in just under three hours and you know that's part of the sport really changed over my career. the cross country got shorter and shorter and that was always my strength was kind of the the pacing and the natural subtle technical skills and as the courses got ma- more manufactured and shorter, I definitely struggled to adjust so it's been enjoyable for me on the endurance side to go back to the most popular events and, um, all the events that to, you see a lot of participation because they're a lot of fun to do. Um, you know, it's on everyone's bucket list to do BC bike race. And man, I really enjoy after traveling for so much of my career to be able to come back to BC and spend some time in the summer when the trails are, are prime and, you know, I'm doing some of the enduro events as well. Growing up in BC, I'm lucky I had that, that skill set so I can do a couple of blind enduro, which... It's really one of my favorite formats, uh, learning how to read the trail and riding the trail bikes, uh, is a ton of fun I do at home a lot. So yeah, it's pretty diverse. I mean, I'll jump in some su- cyclocross, uh, some gravel and I think that's part of the value as an athlete that, um, can cover, you know, pretty diverse set of events and brings value to kind of that, that crossover with all the brands I work with, but there's, there's only a few events for sure that maybe I'm not excited or get demanded to do like dirty cans. I've had to do the last couple of years, uh, 206 miles on the gravel in Kansas did that a couple of times though. And I'm lucky I'm able to, you know, self-direct my schedule a lot and it's pretty easy to pick events that the, the sponsors are engaged. And I mean, the majority of them are super fun events to attend.
0: And I even noticed on your, um, website, you had signed up for the EWS Whistler. Have you raced that race before?
1: Maybe 2015, 2016, but I yeah, flatted on the first run. Um, so yeah, I was definitely excited to get back to Whistler in the summer. Crankworks have been there a few times. Uh, I think last year, North Star EWS was actually the first master's race I'd actually signed up with. I mean, I'm not gonna keep up with Richie Root and those guys anymore. So it's definitely it was fun to do a few EWS's, and yeah, the plan was definitely to come back to whistler and race that one as well but uh like everything else it's on the back burner for next year but got my sb 150 up here in bc and i'll definitely go do a bit of riding up there this summer for sure jeff you've always like i remember i growing up
0: in alberta we looked at riders from bc and they were just always more legit on the technical has that stayed with you from the World Cup circuit to these endurance races, have you always been known as the the guy that's been a bit better at the tech?
1: Man, mountain biking is so much just subtle skill, and it takes time. And we're lucky in BC to be able to ride through the winter in the difficult conditions. And growing up, learning how to ride on you know these rigid bikes—maybe we got full suspension—but man, I rode all winter on you know two point oh semi slicks with rim brakes and. Man, put in my time. So that was definitely nice. When I went to the World Cups, so I always had that in the bag, my technical skills. And that's kind of really carried me through my career. I mean, the World Cup I won in Bromont was under just torrential rain and atrocious conditions. And that was a big reason I was able to have success there. And the blind racing I really enjoy because I mean the EWS has really evolved into mega commitment. And the uh, the blind blind enduro just takes that down a little notch and uh Brings us subtle skills and consistency back into it. And man, I really have enjoyed some of my favorite events, Transfer Voluntz and Trans Cascadia. Never been able to make it to TransBC, but uh done a few other events around the world. And uh those are definitely some of the highlight memories for me. I'd freaking love to race
0: against you on Trans BC. <laughs> Let's bring it. <laughs> but it's like, you know, something like the Uh, Trans Cascadia fits on your vibe so perfectly it's like beer drinking blind racing technical big long days and it's just fun right
1: yeah I mean the format is really amazing I mean yeah you get to hang out with everyone you know drink eat imbibe and have a good time and I mean that's still my favorite thing is finding new trails like man that's like still like my biggest buzz when you're you're riding around and you've got, got that secret trail radar on and you see the entrance to a new trail and ride down a fresh trail. There's still nothing in the world like that to me, for sure. Riding a fresh trail blind. It's so cool. It's almost
0: like the storybook has brought us right up until 2017 because you signed with Yeti at 2018. Is that right?
1: Yeah. 2018 was the first year.
0: Okay. And so it's like the way I'm seeing this, you've got all this technical skill, you're racing in, in endurance races. You've got an engineering degree. Your one of your role models was John Tomac, and then twenty eighteen comes, and like, how did your connection and draw uh, land you with Yeti?
1: Yeti was always a brand that I, you know, really admired um, for a long time. You know, dating back to Tomac and reading all those magazines as such a iconic race brand in the nineties. But I didn't know if they had a, a place for me with their current current lineup of bikes. Um, funny how it happened just at interbike i ran into to nat uh the global sales manager just told him my situation i was looking for you know a new opportunity um running my own program and didn't really think much of it i had no idea of the sb 100 development going on in the background and um uh, nat went back and talked to yeti and made conroy and them aware of of my availability and you know, a month or two later, we, the conversation really got rolling. And um, I mean, I was psyched that the, the opportunity and the timing was there to start with Yeti. I mean, uh, there's a lot of nice bikes out right now, but uh, you know, I'm certainly don't have any bike envy right now. And it was just such a fun bike to ride the last, last couple of years and such a fun brand. Um, You know, I have a ton of respect for, for Yeti and, and what they've done. And I think, it was mutual with, with my career and the stands I took. And so it's been a really fun relationship for sure. So you worked
0: quite extensively on the design of the SB 100.
1: It was, uh, mostly packaged and ready to go. Um, just did some, some final, they, uh, in the start of that year, before the launch, I got a bike just to kind of down the suspension and, and get a feel for it. Uh, but yeah, I was, uh, just good timing that uh, my contract was up and the launch was coming. So really enjoyed getting to race that uh, starting at, uh, in 2018. And we launched a Sea Otter and went on from there. And this is what's
0: so exciting about the launch of the new SB115. So you've got the 130 that you race things like Trans-Provence. You do your endurance races on the 100. Why do we need a 115?
1: It's pretty amazing to see the elevation and, you know, maybe I had the same question, you know, the SB 100's amazing bike and, you know, I was blown away with doing some jump trails on my quote unquote XC bike. The SB 100 was pretty amazing, but, you know, it's just an evolution and it was amazing. You know, I got the, the SB 115 and did some testing, some of my first rides, trying to push it, on uh some segments down in Truckee, california where I was hanging out the last month and you know, it's pretty subtle but you know on a nine minute segment I was 30 seconds faster and it maintains a lot of the qualities of the SB one hundred but just man has that much more confidence on the descents kind of picking it up and jumping it into rough sections and still maintains that kind of you know you can just zip around everywhere and I think the biggest thing is like man it's exactly the kind of bike i would I would buy like the sb100 it's not a world cup race bike if you're looking for a you know a weight weenie world cup race bike but man it is just such a fun bike to ride um so capable and still like the sb130 and 150 man they are such monsters on the trail like you can just it's amazing how capable the new bikes are but they're definitely a little bit more to pedal around and the SB 115, man, I can just zip around and then still ride down almost anything. So it's definitely one that I'm, man, really going to enjoy and bummer that I can't race it this summer at, uh, BC bike race, but really looking forward to having a chance to race it.
0: Is that the perfect summary? Like, is that the perfect venue for the 115, something like BC bike race or your trails around Cumberland?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, such a capable endurance bike. I think it's a a perfect fit to uh, for events like uh, I mean technical endurance races. They're just a bike that you want to ride. Like I was thinking of racing it at Trans Cascadia just to show how much a short travel bike can do. It's surprising. I'm going to switch back and forth a bit between my one thirty and one fifteen. But I'm amazed the the comfort level. That's what's so amazing, man. Lucky you get to ride it for sure.
0: I can totally relate to this being. Like I do everything on my 150, uh, spend half my time in Revelstoke and now spending the summer down in, in Denver. It's like, well, the 150 is rad, maybe some park laps and stuff, but, you know, riding around here to have something that would like spark that, those, those memories from racing cross country, yet being able to take things on the tech, like White Ranch, that sort of thing. Um, how would you summarize the, you know, the perfect demographic for the 115?
1: I did a post about this. I think a lot of people over bike, which can take the, you know, excitement out of trails. And the thing with the the bigger trail bikes is they're so capable that you got to, like, I find I have to run big meat on the, the tires and wheels. So they're just not as quick to get around. So it's so fun to have a light but capable bike that you can rip around and not take forever to get up the climb. You can do a few more laps. And uh, my confidence level on it feels like not that far off the one thirty the s b one thirty was gonna i would have said would be my one bike I would buy if I could only have one I mean, I'm lucky I can have them all, but man, the s b one fifteen I haven't even ridden it with a bit of meat, but just a such a fun all round bike and unless you're in somewhere which has like really rough gnarly terrain, it's gonna be just such a great fit for so many riding destinations. I mean, that's a great way
0: to, to end it. I'm, I'm looking, I just love your attitude towards this whole season. You were even saying earlier, how many um, people have reached out to you, like young up and coming athletes, like, what do I do with my time? What advice would you give uh, athletes that were that basically rely, their career relies on race results? What what advice would you leave them with uh, during these times?
1: Yeah, it's tough as an athlete to provide value from your sponsors, but make the most out of the out of the time off like take the time to keep learning whether it's reading about the sport and your body nutrition and physiology or to learn new skills and progress on the bike and uh, a bit of photography or filming or putting some thought into some some story making and it's it's tough but it's a great time to learn and develop some new skills i'm 43 but still learning new stuff and that's the, the fun part of the challenge to keep on pushing yourself uh, how much would you recommend off-season <laughs> t- training? Is that an essential piece to the uh, the training process? The biggest thing is like mental, I mean, motivation. You don't want to burn out. So, man, I always like throughout my career just tried to really enjoy switching up in the winter. And man, whether it's been some big days backcountry touring lately or you're a bunch of Nordic, I mean, I've even, you know, run some marathons or even gone to Hawaii and done an Xterra. I think it's just so valuable to take a break from the the grind of riding the bike all winter, especially in Canada where the weather's bad. Um I think like everything is just keeping everything in, in balance and, and moderation. A lot of people think that everything has to be perfect, whether it's their their training diary or their nutrition, but it's really just that consistency and staying healthy, both physically and mentally.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Very classy. You're quite a class act, Jeff. <laughs> I idolized you when I was like, you know, in year 2000 and I'm idolizing you now. And it's been 20 years of, of crushing it. So here's to uh, 20 more years as you as a professional mountain biker <laughs> doing it for fun. Thanks so much for this, Jeff. Taking advice is a dangerous prospect. But if there was anyone I would recommend listening to, it'd be Kabush. Jeff has always brought perspective and levity to racing while being the consummate pro. And it's so rad to see him riding and racing today like someone 20 years younger than his actual age. With all that wisdom, and clearly no plans for hanging it up anytime soon. Or at least, not until the fun stops. Thank you truly for listening. I'm Marty Schaefer, and this has been Talk Yeti to Me by Yeti Cycles. And until next time, keep her pinned.